0: are now tuning in to the Mind Body podcast, where you will go behind the scenes of how the mind of successful entrepreneurs, experts, and true leaders really works. Here you won't just listen, you will understand the guiding principles to create massive change in any area of your life. And of course, this podcast is hosted by the strong, lovely, with the sexy Jewish accent, Lidor Dayan! Welcome to the Mind Body Podcast. My name is Lidor Dayan and I'm your host. I'm very excited about today's interview with
1: Lyle McDonald. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Lyle is, Lyle is a health and fitness researcher and a writer. Lyle is a very smart guy that really helps us all by taking the complex subjects and make them really easy to understand. And just like Tony Robbins says, Complexity is the enemy of execution. So, without further ado, please welcome to the Mind Body Podcast, Lyle McDonald. What's up, Lyle? Uh, not
2: much. I appreciate you having me on, but I think we're going to have fun talking to you guys today. So
1: Thank you, to you very much. I, I really appreciate your time that you came here. And uh, I would like uh, to start with. Uh, Maybe it, it's funny, because when you look at your last name, it's McDonald's, and you're in the fitness. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, when I was younger, you know, people made
3: uh, fun of my name, and you know, always got asked, you know, does your family own McDonald's?
2: Yeah. Because I had a lot more money, but yeah, is <laughs> yeah. Kind of, it is kind of
4: ironic, I agree.
1: So, uh, I really would like to start with uh, your journey, how did you start? Uh, how fitness came came into you, like, what what's motivates you to start it?
2: I, I got into it, I don't know if it was later than everyone, Yeah, you know, both my parents were musicians, I, you know, growing up, I played, you know, little league sports, I did all of that, very traditional kind of, but it, it, I don't know that it was ever really my thing, like, it was something that you just did, you know, this was in the 1970s, you played little league baseball, you played soccer, and this is just kind of what you did growing up. Uh, it was during the video game generation. I can't say that, you know, I ate a typical kind of middle class white diet that wasn't very good. I was a chunky little kid. Mm-hmm. It was really in high school. I too had mandatory athletics, which meant we had to do sports, pick a sport every semester, uh, which could range from, you know, cross-country to just general exercise, people played soccer, the big guys played football, you know, and I can't say I was really an
3: athlete, but I got involved in that, I got very involved in cycling, I was part of the swimming team, Um, I did some very early triathlons, which in the 80s was a very new sport. I uh, got involved in martial arts and started to see a lot of changes, you know, physically, which I, I liked. And I think that's when I really got interested in it. Um, through gymnastics, uh, towards the end of my high school, I decided I wanted to, go, wanted to go study it. So I ended up going to UCLA
2: to study exercise physiology. And at the time, I think I wanted to, you know, be a, an underpaid coach. And then I got very interested in physical therapy. I got involved in uh, inline skating or rollerblading there, which again, in the 90s, was a very,
4: very new sport, so started racing, and got very interested in, you know, the science of, you know, nutrition, and
2: supplements, and training, you know, I read all the magazines, I saw all the ads, I wanted it to be real, like, I wanted it to all be, you know, and, and the, the deeper I got into the actual research, the more I realized that, while well, there was a lot of good information that he had, especially, you know, you know bodybuilding magazines and showing a lot of bad stuff. Mm-hmm. So I got out, you know, disc coaching uh, for, you know, training, but I was still competing, and I kind of fell into writing. Uh, you know, the, the late 90s, a book called Body Opus by Dan Duchesne, who was kind of an infamous, infamous drug and nutrition guru, came out. I got involved in that. My first book was about low carbohydrate diets, you know, the ketogenic diet, and it just kind of went from there. I enjoyed writing. Um, again, this is when the internet was starting. This was mid nine mid late nineties. Started getting asked to write for websites. They started paying me uh, as much as they could and mm-hmm. just kind of fell into it. You know, as, as a kid who grew up that was a you know, a little bit overweight. Um, you know, a lot of people do everything. They want to fix themselves first. Mm-hmm they, you know, there's a joke, psychologists are all crazy, and dietitians are, you know, usually uh, ex-overweight people, and I was the same thing, Uh, I was very interested in fat loss, I was always a decent but not great athlete, and I wanted to improve my own performance, and I was just lucky enough to turn it into a career, so, you know, since my first book, I think I've written 12 on various topics uh, flexible ranging and you know I've written a couple of very technical books I've written some very practical books um, I'll talk about this later when we talk about fitness trends but in 2004 uh, 13 years ago I wrote what I, what I think is really the first book formalizing the flexible dieting concept mm-hmm. like I think it's interesting that now in 2017
4: that's all you hear about yes. all, and, I, and even then I said look this is a better approach. And all the the extremists are like, no, you can't eat.
3: You don't eat perfectly clean. And like nobody believed it in 2004. And now in 2017, that's all anybody
1: talks about. Yeah, everybody does that. <laughs> yeah, I just want to kind of raise my hand and go, guys, I was there 13 <laughs> years ago. And a lot of people, you know, do give me credit, you know, uh,
2: for that. And I know we're going to talk about refeeds, which was part of those strategies. The one thing I really didn't have any Personal hand-in was, you know, if it fits your macros movement, which is very popular right now. But, you know, now everybody's finally kind of come on board that not only is dieting as effective when you're a little bit looser with it or allow certain things, um, it's better. It's superior. You don't get, I know we to talk about most of this within the podcast, you don't get
1: just the, the, the inherent problems with cravings, with binging, all of those things, flexible dieting fixes this for a lot of people. I wanted you to, to really uh, take us uh, for a second to the scientific uh, thing, okay. because when we look at the science and researchers, how can you really uh, um, know uh, what research is really good at? What is the parametrics that I need to check before I yeah. see a, a reason? Because there are so many research, so how can I know? And Question to answer. I, I tend, you know, it's it's far too easy to start, uh, you know, picking and choosing. You know, the, there's kind of a joke. The, the research that's good is the stuff that agrees with you, mm-hmm. which you already believe, and the stuff that's bad is the research that doesn't agree with you. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, too many people do that. You'll see. They'll, they'll go,
2: well, here's research that supports me. You go, well, here's 10 studies that say you're wrong. They'll go, oh, that's bad research. That was, look at who it's funded by. That's shill sign. You know, that there's a lot of, too much of that going on. I try to read it all and just, you know, see. If you have 10 papers that say one thing and one that doesn't, now it's possible that they're all good and they find contradictory results. They may be using maybe overweight versus lean people, women versus men, um, different levels of body, yeah, there, there's often reasons that, that the studies don't match up, but frequently you just look at the study designs, and this is where it gets difficult. Mm-hmm. You have to get really into the
4: details of the paper. You know, a lot of people do. They read the title, which is often very misleading. Yeah. They read the abstract, which can be, since you read the abstract, which seems to conclude one thing, and when you read the actual paper, it almost concludes the opposite, and, and I find a lot of people kind of stop at, at the abstract. Um the
2: discussion is usually where you find a lot of the good information, because they if it's a good paper, they'll address what the limitations of the paper are. They'll address, well, here's studies that found a different reason, and maybe here's why. But you frequently have to get really deep into the paper, and, you know, if it's got five people, it's not a very strong study. If it's got 200, it probably is. Yes. Frequently, the study designs, I read one, a 1995 paper just recently, and I'm not saying it's not good, but... there's no information about diet. They didn't give any indication of what the people were eating, what they were told to eat, anything. All they looked at, and this was 1995, they're much better about it now. You know, it can be useful to look at who funded the study and frequently, you know, positive studies tend to be funded by people that frequently have a vested interest, but the studies have to be paid for by somebody. Like this is what people forget. Um, You know, a classic example, which is actually funny. There's a group called NewSci, which is very low-carb-oriented. And good on them. They've been funding studies. And they funded funded this really detailed study by Kevin Hall
4: to look at carbohydrate versus low-carbohydrate diets. And the study actually contradicts what what the the people funding it believed, Mm -hmm. right? The the NewSci people want low-carb to be superior. And Kevin Hall's extremely meticulous study said, yeah, actually, it's – maybe as good and maybe a little bit worse. So, you know, it's a good autumn for funding the study and the result was completely the opposite of what you'd expect based on who pay for it. Mm -hmm. So it's really easy. You know, you can look at that but, like I said, somebody's got to pay for it. So uh, there's could be a lot of different issues and I would just warn people against dismissing What doesn't agree with their preconceived biases, like you read it as, and and everybody does it, scientists do it, I do it, you know, I'm not free from bias, nobody is. I think, and and I've got limitations, I'm not good with statistics, Uh, there's much smarter guys than the Alan
1: Aragon, Eric Helms, who I know you've interviewed, Mm -hmm. who, they're much better at looking at the statistics of this, and knowing, well, the way they analyze the data, They use the wrong statistical tests. I won't claim that, you know, I'm not a statistician. Um, And I tend to ignore that sort of stuff. But I was looking at studies on did they well match the subjects? If one group started off 10 pounds leaner it's a diet study, you can't compare those groups in the body, you know. um, There's another study that, that they did in athletes and found that, oh, they gained some muscle while losing fat. See, you can do it. You look at their body fat percentage, and the men were like twenty four percent body fat. Mm. That's not really very lean, yeah. and, and you got some issues like that. But you frequently have to get into a lot of detail. Yeah, it's getting really studied. specific. Like it's so many factors that uh, you need to to really look at. Uh, yes. Yeah, and that's you know in that regard, I will do. Uh, you know, research reviews. Alan Aragon, who I'm sure you'll probably have on, on the podcast, he's yeah.
2: incredible. He does his you know his monthly research review, and he'll look at studies, look at what they did, the limitations. He's got a lot of smart people contributing lately. Um, so it's it's not for everybody, and it can get really detailed. I think it it helps to have a scientific background. I don't want to play that that game of if you don't have a scientific background. You shouldn't or can't read it or can't have an opinion.
4: I think that that smacks back to the you know the 18th century when you had the the academics, you had the intelligentsia, who told everyone else what to believe. They mm. were the only ones that because you'll see that you'll see well if you don't have a PhD, you can't even understand the science. Mm. And I find that elitist and
2: incorrect. There's a lot of people that are self-taught. There's a lot of people that are really bad at it. So I'd say you know look at look at more than one study too. Because, um, like I said, you know, there's the statement of, well, you can find a study that can say wherever you want, sometimes. But if ten studies on a topic, nine of them agree, and one of them is this weird little, mm-hmm. for some reason, probably the one out of ten is the one that's maybe was done differently, not as well done, but people will pick that one and go, "See, this is what's true." Oh yeah. no, the weight of the evidence. Um, so that you know, that's another way you have, it. and, and that's a lot of work. That's that's exhausting. Thankfully, you know, everyone has access to PubMed, which is where all the studies exist. Uh, there's a site called Sci Hub, because frequently getting the full paper is very difficult, right? There that's a whole journals cost a lot of money. A single paper can cost thirty-five dollars. Most people aren't gonna to go to a biomedical library. I haven't been in over you know, a decade. You can get a lot of full papers online. Sci-hub, which is a site that's kind of trying to make uh, research accessible to the general public is
4: a way to do it. But you really do have to read the full paper and have at least a vague understanding of, of what they did and you know, what what good science is, which means it's controlled. There's one variable. So a paper just today somebody cited, and they looked at a, a mix of L-carnitine, leucine, vitamin D, and creatine. In older people and muscle mass. Well, that's great. Which ingredient was it? Good science has one independent variable, one thing that changes, and one dependent variable, which is the result. Bad studies change four things at once, and you can't draw a conclusion from that. So there's a lot of different things. Alan Aragon in his book, Birth Control, actually has. I'll be honest, a really boring chapter on how to read research. I know some people have written some really good blog posts of late. I would start there. Go find some people that do have the background, that do know the statistics, and they'll kind of walk you through, like, this is what you need to look at, probably in a more comprehensive way than I can. So I just try to read it all. Okay. (laughs) But I've spent a lot of time.
1: So uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, the difference between men and women for fetos because uh, most people will tell, like, okay, you need to be in a deficit, uh, right. eat uh, lower calories, eat more protein, but uh, we both know that uh, it's really can be different between men and women, especially yes. from the hormonal side. Right, and that's really the big, you know, for, for people who may not know me or not, be aware of this, you know, I've been working on a book on women's physiology for, it's been almost two years, it's been an exhausting project, women are just complicated in a way that men aren't, right, mm-hmm. men's primary hormone is testosterone, mm-hmm. it changes minimally at best during the month, like it's, it's, there's some little changes, but basically it's just this one, women, if they have a menstrual cycle, they've got estrogen and progesterone that are changing almost weekly. And those hormones drastically affect physiology. The first half of the cycle, women are more insulin-sensitive, they use carbohydrates better, their hunger is controlled better. The second half of the cycle, they're less insulin-sensitive, they don't use carbohydrates as well, they burn fats a little bit better, their metabolic rate is a little bit higher, but their hunger and cravings are higher, and that's never taken into account. Although, actually, a recent paper did. They, they set up the diet according to the menstrual cycle and saw better results. Like, they adjusted it in terms of the macronutrient ratio. One thing they did during the, the, the second half of the cycle
2: is since their, their metabolic rate is a little bit higher, they let them have, like, a small piece of chocolate every few days, right? That's that mm-hmm. if it fits your macros thing yes. we Because what we've been trying to do is fight those cravings. And then they end up with their face, you know, get a bag of chocolate you can take that into account and let them have that little take. And for some people that backfires. Some people have, you know, a square of chocolate and boom, they are off to the races and will eat everything. So that's one big factor. It's just and then you add things like birth control, which is super complicated. Um, there's a condition call and they, they all act a little bit differently. There's they usually use the same synthetic estrogen. There's eight different synthetic progesterones. There's a pill, a patch an insert, an implant, a vaginal ring, they all work a little bit differently. Working my way through that was a nightmare. And it changes every year. They introduce new compounds. Um, it can affect insulin sensitivity, metabolic rate, hunger. Uh, generally, you know, in contrast to common belief, it, it does they don't have a huge impact on body weight. Although it's usually it's really variable paper I read recently was looking, concluded that the average weight gain was about two pounds. But the variance between the women Mm -hmm. was some lost up to 30 pounds.
4: One of the women gained 70 pounds in a year. Like, that's insane. And that actually goes back to what we were talking about with how to read research. Frequently, when you average the numbers, you lose sight of the variability. Right. If someone loses ten pounds and someone gains ten pounds, the average change was zero. Mm-hmm. But that clearly doesn't pick up what actually happened in the study. So this study was like, oh, the average was two pounds. Sure, but one woman, many women, lost a ton of weight and a bunch gained. One, how you gain seventy pounds in a year? I have no idea. Uh, that's just. An absurdly, you know, who knows what was going on. Yeah. So birth control is really complicated. There's something called polycystic ovary syndrome, women may have elevated testosterone. They're insulin resistant, and so they'll do better with lower carbs, more protein, more fat. Mm-hmm. Then you get into what happens at menopause with women's systems. Like, women just have all these issues. Men have one hormone that at most drops a little bit over age. So men are the same every day, right? If you
2: train men in the gym, they're the same every day. You never know who's walking to the gym with women. Some days they have lots of energy, they're driven, they feel good. Many women the last week in the cycle, at the extreme, some can't get out of bed. Like they are clinically depressed, some are suicidal, their water weight is up, their coordination is down. If you're training a female, she may be strong as hell in week two and not be able to lift anything in week four. So you have to adjust training. Um, there are other differences. Women use uh, uh, fat versus carbs differently during, say, aerobic exercise. They use more fat during exercise, but they use less fat the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the other 23 hours is the important bit, right? The hour is not that big of a deal. Yes. Men use more carbs during exercise, but burn more fat the rest of the day. So men have an inherent advantage there. Women lose less muscle than that. And this is one of the things that really affects weight loss. Right?
1: Women lose less muscle than men? Yes, when they diet. And a lot of this is simply having more body fat. Um, there's, generally speaking, the more fat you're carrying. Like here at 40% body fat, you don't lose much muscle when you diet. If you're a male at 10%, you can lose one pound of muscle for every three pounds of fat you lose. Women lose, it's about one-third of what men typically lose. And a lot of that is because estrogen is protect, estrogen
3: decreases uh, protein, the use of protein for fuel in the body. That's a big player there. Um, actually, if you if you give men estrogen, they have a very similar physiology. Mm-hmm. They're not saying you give men estrogen, of course, but it's hormonal. You so you've got that. What this means is that on a diet, losing a pound of muscle takes a smaller deficit than losing a pound of fat. It's about 700 calories versus 3,500.
2: That's right. So if you if you've got a 3,500 calorie deficit, you lost 100 percent muscle, which never happens. You lose five pounds of body weight. If you lose one pound of fat, you'll lose one pound. Mm-hmm. So men's body
4: weight will always go down faster. Um, men carry more visceral fat, more fat around the stomach and inside, yeah. around the organs. That's easier to get rid of. It comes off more quickly. So men will frequently show a faster initial rate of fat loss. Women carry most of their fat in the hidden thighs. That's much harder to get rid of. It's harder to mobilize for reasons i they not going to get into. You know, the fat distribution is different. All of this plays a role, but I think the the big one and where you're kind of going with this is women's bodies are very biologically evolved to spare calories, right? And it's a survival thing. Women were very much responsible for the survival of the human race, right? Once a man has has gotten a woman pregnant, it's it's nice to have him around, but he's no longer necessary in, in a very real way. And if there's not a lot of food, it's actually better if he dies and men are more likely to die during starvation. And that sounds crass mean, but it's not. If, he, if he's passed on his genes, right, which is our evolutionary
3: goal, and if there's not a lot of food around, if he dies, there's more food for the mother and the baby. Yeah. His genes are more likely to survive. So women's bodies evolved all these differences to during exercise, they spare you know they spare the way they burn calories. The big difference when they diet, those women's systems tend to reduce metabolic rate faster. Their leptin levels change more quickly. Their appetite can frequently and there's a lot of variability here. Some women can get lean in a heartbeat. Others have a much bigger problem. So, but it, as a generality, especially for leaner women, all of these systems in terms of thyroid metabolic rate all this stuff tends to decrease. Um, and of course the big issue for women is they can lose their menstrual cycle. So again, if you're starving to death, the last thing you want to do is get pregnant. Even that reduces the number of calories that are burned um, for a number of reasons. Again, it's all in the book and I don't
2: want to get too, too deep into
1: the details. I also heard you talked about uh, when uh, men breastfeeding; it also burns a lot of calories, right? Oh, no, absolutely. Um, you know, once a woman uh, has had the baby. Yeah. The, well, number one, she burns a ton of calories during pregnancy. Like it takes—I don't know the number.
4: It's some just absurd number of calories to just just to support pregnancy and, and develop the fetus into a baby. Which is part of why women carry fat on their hips and thighs. Mm-hmm. There's kind of an interesting thing. Under normal conditions, women's lower body fat is the hardest to, to mobilize and burn off. Yeah. That switches during pregnancy. That fat exists. To provide calories for pregnancy, it also provides calories for breastfeeding, and breastfeeding is something like 400 calories a day. Whoa. It's very significant, yeah. and I have actually known women that will. And I'm not saying they should. You know, if you diet extremely, that can lower milk production, and that's not great. But they'll use just you know a little bit of a deficit, a little bit of calorie reduction, yeah.
2: or just even maintenance. They're getting essentially an hour aerobic workout <laughs> just to produce milk, yeah. and. You know, they'll drop that baby weight in an instant. Um, You know, they're getting down near a pound of fat a week doing nothing but just breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so all of this is this really integrated system to ensure that women are more likely to survive. Even when women are starving, you look at third world, you know, they frequently, their bodies, women's bodies will work it out. They, again, they want to protect the baby. They will find a way to make milk. It may end up killing them, but. Their bodies, like I so said, that, that's a really critical adaptation, and men just don't have that. So, so men frequently have that issue as well going on, and, and kind of what the practical consequence of this is is that a lot of what works for men or is very effective for men is either not as effective for women or can actually be physically damaging. Right? I mentioned like when women lose their menstrual cycle, very bad things happen, and a lot of a lot of what men can get away with will can cause Short, even short-term damage to women, and especially long-term, because that bone loss may be permanent. So there, there's a lot of stuff going on under the hood. And again, my book is about 350 pages right now, so okay. there's a lot of details do I want to skip. Some of the consequences of
3: this,
4: uh, you know, I talked a little bit about the
2: cravings during the luteal cycle. They're
4: awkward
1: Does that's, that's in the it time of right. the minds that they have, uh, the women, they also, uh, from my experience, uh, personal experience with women, they said they are more hungry when they have the time of the month and does it really affect the weight, like in the weekly weight? Well, okay, actually, that's a really good something to consider. And, again, we're talking really about the
4: normal menstrual cycle. When Mm -hmm. I say normal, I don't mean that the rest of it is abnormal. Mm -hmm. I just mean like the standard menstrual cycle. I don't want people to
2: think I'm being negative about the other things. Is you know, estrogen is moving up and down and progesterone is going up in the middle. Women will retain water typically in the second and fourth week. Mm -hmm. It's not universal, but this drives women crazy, right? They're dieting. Everything looks fine, and then in week two, suddenly they're five pounds heavier, right? Now, we know that the scale can be useful, but it also can be very limiting because, you know, eat a high-sodium meal. Go out and have something with a lot of salt.
1: A male can be up two or three pounds, yeah. but a woman may gain five pounds in a number of days. So they she has to number of and that will that will
2: make it look like she's gaining weight on a diet. Mm-hmm. But then she waits a few days and it drops back off. And then she goes, Oh, my diet's working great. Mm-hmm. And the next week it goes back up. Mm-hmm. And A women have to be
1: aware of that, that if they are tracking their body weights, it's gonna change week to week. It's gonna, gonna go down and up and down and up typically. So do you recommend to, to do like an average maverick- like every yeah, day. That's,
4: one, that's one really good way to do it, is to do that, you know, seven-day rolling average,
2: that's mm-hmm. certainly... Because even on a day-to-day basis, body weight can vary
4: two or three
1: pounds. Most Water people, I say, weight. no, I'm not obsessed. If I do every day, I will get obsessed on my weight. Yeah, the studies actually show the exact... Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure for some people that's true, but if you just
2: measure weight one day out of the week, it can vary two or three pounds. You may have, if you haven't taken... you haven't had a good bowel movement. Mm-hmm. Your body weight may be up a pound and a half. Add some water weight, there's so much fluctuation. The same water weight changes across the month, can affect some kind of some body composition methods like biological impedance, which I don't like anyway, hugely affected by water level. Even skin folds. If a
4: woman's holding water underneath your skin, skin folds may be off, her clothes may fit differently. And what it means practically is women cannot compare week one to week two to week three to week four. Those are not, like a man can, again, any day is the same as any other day, for all practical purposes. Women have to compare week one to week one, week two to week two, week three, whatever it is. They have to find that that commonality, um, which can make it harder to track their diet. They may not know for a month if their diet is working. That can really put them, if they're on a schedule, if they're a physique athlete or have to get in shape for something, they may not know that their diet's not correct for several weeks. Which is another real big problem. Again, men just don't have this issue. So there, there's both physiological differences, there's practical differences, um, there are ways to work. Another thing I talked about menstrual cycle dysfunction. A woman can start to mess up her hormones within five days. If she goes on an extreme diet, does too much exercise. Five days. Yes, as little as five to seven days. Oh. Yeah. And and that's of course what a lot of women do. They're like, I gotta lose weight. Jumping yeah. so, in 100 calories, two hours of aerobics. Their cortisol goes up, everything goes wrong. So, frequently women have to use a more moderate approach. They especially have to ease into it because the stress can really mess up their system of excess exercise and and too few calories. So, there's just a lot of different, different things. I've got, you know, not only the physiology in this book, but, you know, how to fix the problems or how to avoid the problems. You know, one of the good ways. There's also the difference in how men and women approach fat loss. And I'm not talking about athletes that know better. When women want to lose weight, they go to the treadmill, and they piss around at low intensities for two hours. Women tend to eat more carbs than men. They have more of a preference for carbs over protein and fat. Men love protein. Men love protein Mm -hmm. and fat. When men want to lose weight, where do they go? They go to the weight room. Mm -hmm. Men don't enjoy cardio, they're not going anything. And in a very real way, men are doing, I hate to say, the right way to lose weight, but a better way. Because what you find in women is if you start to deplete the carbohydrate in their muscles, they burn more fat for fuel, right? What do we see online? What have you seen in your experience? You take a woman who's on low
2: calories, because all she's doing is cardio. She's eating 80% carbs, Right? yeah you increase your protein her hunger is better under control moderate your carbs you get her doing some high intensity work weight training interval training and i'm not saying do nothing but interval training you deplete their muscle carbohydrate boom they start burning fat more like man and suddenly their fat loss and, and again you can find endless stories of women who did the cardio
3: grind and suddenly got in the weight room started training heavy moderated their carbs And it's it's magic. Like, it's just an absolute
1: overnight magic trick. Yeah, it's like I I had a client that uh, had some problems with her her weight loss. She was, like, doing everything okay. She was, like, in around uh, 1,300 calories. And she did the refeed. She did three times weightlifting, maybe two hours cardio per week and but still the weight was stuck for so long we tried to do like uh, two weeks of maintenance to uh, go back up and then uh, again to go down but i don't know why but she was still at the same weight and she even gained weight i thought maybe it's about the sodium and potassium ratio and we tried that also but still i don't know
2: yeah i mean it's you know there's a lot of things, and even, even there, right, cortisol, which can go up with too few calories too much, that can cause water retention, which women are already prone to. What I find with a lot of women is they do these extreme diets and lots of exercise. Mm-hmm. They may be losing fat, but their cortisol levels go way up, stress hormone. They retain water. They're not losing
1: weight. So what do they do? They go harder. Yes. They cut calories more. They cut, and as, as much as you know, this whole eat more to lose fat thing is a little bit misleading, when you get them to raise their calories and reduce their activity and reduce that stress, frequently things start happening. And I know it's very counterintuitive that less can be more. So but you, you suggest to like just uh, uh, get off from training for a week or something like that? Uh, well, and that's really funny. You'll see women that are, are kind of locked down and not losing any
4: weight. And what do they do? They get frustrated. They go, you know what? Screw this. Mm-hmm. This is not working. They take a few days off they eat a little more calories, they get on the weight, and boom, five pounds overnight, mm-hmm.
3: which of course has to be water, but they look better, they look leaner, and they're just, you know, that that kind of makes, it makes a
2: real point about this, that with what women, and, and there's a lot of stuff that, says this is how women should die. There's a lot of really bad information out there. And women do this,
1: and then of course what do they do? They go right back to doing too much. Like it's just psychologically yeah. what, they're, what they how they think. Yeah, the, the thinking is, is always we think that we must walk harder, we must do so much more. It it can't be so easy, right? It must be art. So uh, we always yeah. com- complete this stuff. And, and again, People get past that mentality, even men too. Like, I did it when I was younger. Men can have some of the same problems, and when you know, and again, when things stop working, they, they just try to do more. And as, as as little sense as it makes, frequently doing less is better. Yes, and uh, we talked about a little about uh, anger, so craving. How can you yeah. really differentiate uh, between uh, a boredom, or emotional, or dehydration uh, craving to? actually real hunger while dieting, and how you can overcome it.
2: Yeah, I think a big part of the difference, like cravings tend to be these very specific, very pronounced desires for certain foods. Like there is boredom, hunger, there is, you know, psychological hunger, you know, people eat because they're sad, because they're stressed, and those aren't typically real cravings. Um, Dieting, in general, tends to promote cravings. And frequently, it's you get cravings for whatever you're not eating, yeah. right? If this is part of the problem with the eliminate such-and-such such a food from your diet without exception type of thing um, is it promotes cravings, and that can cause problems. And this is part of where that, you know, a little bit flexible dieting, if it fits your macros, that sort of thing can be very beneficial, although well, again, it can backfire. You know, the, the typical recommendations for cravings in general other than to just, you know, occasionally uh, feed them or occasionally meet them, is, you know, if you get a craving, you wait 10 minutes. If the hunger goes away, it wasn't real hunger. It was psychological. You were bored. You were to get a drink, a glass of water, whatever it is. If after 10 minutes you're still hungry, you're physiologically hungry. That's kind of one of the easiest
3: easiest recommendations you'll see. And
1: if you start to eat and go to a binge?
2: Yeah, and that's a real problem. Like, as much as I like flexible dieting strategies, as much as I like all that stuff, to a lot of people, it doesn't work. And I think a lot of it, especially people who are just starting, right, if you've got an overweight individual who's coming out of 20 years of of poor eating habits, and they've got their taste buds are a certain way, they've got a reward system in their brain that's a certain way, Mm -hmm. and you tell them, you know, I want to start you, if it fits your macros right off the bat, it frequently backfires. Uh, some people have what are called trigger foods they eat that little bit and all they want is more yeah. you know i, I generally I, I recommend and this is a big change from my earlier book is if you try a strategy two or three times and it backfires it's not for you right and it's not saying that there's anything wrong with you it's not you're not flawed you're not defective there is
4: there are physiological differences mm-hmm. and people have to do dieting as often a learning process to figure out what's best for you, what the you know the better approach. Again, as much as I like refeeds, as much as I like a lot of these new strategies, they're not for everyone. And we know that for decades, people have gotten in shape without eating these foods. Right? It's not that it's not that yeah. stricter dieting doesn't work for a lot of people. Flexible dieting is better. And I think a lot of the people recommending flexible dieting and if it fits your macros, they're usually athletes. They're usually people that spent five to ten years eating very rigidly, measuring every piece of food. Mm -hmm. Their taste buds have changed. They have a lot of food control. Even when they say they're eating whatever they want, they're not. Unconsciously, they know exactly how much they're eating. They'll oh, I eat intuitively. No, you don't. You may not consciously be
2: paying attention to it, but I guarantee you know exactly how many calories because you've been doing this for a decade.
1: Yeah, so like for an obese person, if I give him a flexible diet, he can see it differently than somebody who is doing this. For and,
2: and frequently, you know, it takes about six weeks for taste buds to change for some of those things. You know, I, I'm all for it, but frequently you may need to wait six to 12 weeks without population. Now I'm all for introducing the, idea, the general idea of flexible eating attitudes, right? People think of dieting as, these are my diet foods, these are my non-diet foods. I'm okay. on a diet, I'm off a diet. Mm-hmm. This is a good food, this is a bad food. Those are very damaging
1: attitudes. In the research, flexible dieting attitudes really refers to that, right? None of these strategies were in the literature. All the flexible eating things, the three I came up with and formalized, if it
2: fits your macros, this isn't in the research. The research flexible dieting attitudes is the psychological It's, okay, you overate a little bit today. So what? A couple hundred calories doesn't matter. Reduce your calories a little bit over the next couple of days. right? People think of dieting as this day-to-day thing. I screwed up today. My diet's sort No, it's not. One day doesn't offset three weeks. One day doesn't offset six weeks. One meal, one, because you ate a cookie, because you wanted a cookie, you get over it. Like it's not a big deal. Even if you eat a bunch of cookies, you just adjust, right? That's that flexible. You're not a bad person. You're human. Uh, if you, you start to get
1: really deep into some of the the drug rehab literature, and there's a lot of this going on, right? It's called the the abstinence violation effect, right? The drug now drug users don't get to have a little. It's very different than food, right? Someone addicted to cocaine doesn't just get to have a little bit. You know, it's not like if it fits your drug use. So how how much you really can, uh, if a person, like, overeat a little bit, how much in calories, in numbers, can affect uh, fat loss in in a weekly? I I mean, you'd have to, I mean, think about it. Even if you ate, you know, if you're on, let's say you're on a moderate deficit, let's say you've got a weekly deficit Mm -hmm. of 35 Calories. Yes. Let's say you go nuts, you eat a thousand calories in cookies. Okay, mm-hmm. you still, fine, you still got a 2,500 calorie deficit, you've gone from a pound of fat to two thirds a pound of fat.
2: That's still a good loss. And like, I know dieting sucks, everybody wants to have it faster and get that. But in the big scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And even all you have to do, like, let's say, you know, it's a Monday, you do that on a Wednesday. Well, Take 200 calories more out of your diet over the next four days. That's 800 of the thousand. You're 200 bind That's nothing. That's what is that?
1: 200 over 3,500. It's 18th of a pound of fat. What what I see for most they, people, they they like have a day that they, they can eat lower uh, than uh, 1,000 calorie. Uh, but it's not uh, that they are doing this on purpose. That's because. They have so much to do when walking and stuff that they just don't eat. And then uh, two days later, they overeat. So how can we really don't make this so like uh, up and down? Well, I
2: mean, that's what, here's what's actually really interesting. If you, you yeah, there's a new approach coming through, mainly the weight loss research. Because again, realize researchers don't care about lean athletes, by and large. They care about, because if you're 12%, you don't. need to lose weight. They
4: don't give it down. Yeah. They care about overweight people. But there's something called intermittent calorie restriction or intermittent inter- energy restriction. And the idea is that you're actually alternating very low calories one or two days and then having a, just eating it maintenance, right? You're not
2: trying to eat as much as possible. You're not having a cheat day. It's like you die for from hard, like, and I mean hard. They're on like a 75% deficit, like four to 600 calories. And then on the maintenance day, they may eat normally, they may be 10% over. Some of the studies, they're 5% under. And the consequence of this is over, over the week, they still end up in a huge deficit because you have to go so nuts. If you've got, on 600 calories, if you're
3: heavy, you're creating a 3,000-calorie-per-day deficit. If on that maintenance day, you even go 10% over and eat 3,300, you've still got a
2: 700-calorie deficit. And what you find when you do the math on this is that the weekly deficit is the same or a little bit bigger for the big days. I mean, if if you're doing intermittent calorie restriction. The results are roughly the same. Some show a little bit superior. I think they're better from adherence, but again, not for everybody, because some people will do exactly what you're describing. 600 calories one day, 5,000 calories two days later. That depends on the person and that's something that you have to test in general the study showed very positive results not all of them it may be different in lean people but again lean people have much better control that 1995 paper i mentioned earlier was looking at this and it actually showed that over four weeks they put the women on 600 calories for four days and let them eat normally what they found was that over the four weeks their calorie intake on the the normal days kept going up Mm -hmm. it went from like 2500 to Mm 3300 they started to report Preoccupation, food, preoccupation, and some of this is dieting, and and psychological behavior is very close to binge eating, so this is another concern, and these even were, these weren't even women with eating disorders, this was just normal normal women, and it, it that approach can cause problems for some, but that's very individual. I've told people I love cyclical diets, my ultimate diet too, cyclical ketogenic, I love them, I think they're great, but for some people... It can literally put them into like a binge purge. They'll do five or they'll do huge deficit for five days, and then just lose control for two. So that's for, not, healthy.
1: For repeats, not healthy. repeats. Repeat. Okay, which yeah.
2: gives us the idea of a repeat. to dealt with cravings. And I think for most people, you know, for cravings, you know, some people find that cravings go away after time, right? You'd want them initially in five to six weeks. Later. And I've heard people, usually overweight, they don't eat something for a couple weeks, they lose the desire for they have a little bit of it again, now they want it again, right? That's, that gets into a lot of different things. It's differences
3: in brain chemistry, differences in taste buds. That's that learning process. So any a refeed. The idea of a refeed is
2: that you deliberately eat a lot of carbohydrates for anywhere from one to three days, um, different time periods, and that has a number of potential benefits. One is that it allows you more calories. You can, If you want to work in a treat, that
1: works. Yeah, you can put a refeed in a cheat
2: meal or something? Yeah, I don't. I, actually, I, I really try to get people away from thinking in terms of a cheat meal. Cheat is a negative, mm-hmm. right? Cheat puts you right back into this good,
4: bad attitude. Whatever people call a cheat meal, or God forbid, a cheat day, yes. huh. they, they don't just eat normally. They go out of their way to eat as much garbage as they can. It's yes. a very. I call it a free meal. I call it a refeed. A free meal just means you get to eat a normal meal. A cheat meal means I gotta cheat. I'm gonna go eat a quarter ice cream,
2: an entire pizza, because this is cheat right, you cheat on your wife, you cheat on your girlfriend, you cheat on your taxes, you cheat on a test. Mm. You don't cheat on your diet. And this is a psychological thing. People cheat or they you know, what they what happens they have a binge. They feel guilty because they were out of control of it. When they plan a free meal, uh oh, Friday I'm going out with family, I'm just gonna go eat a normal meal. I wanna be social, I'm not gonna go crazy or go to the restaurant you're in control of the diet. Mm-hmm. If you binge, the diet is in control of you, and the psychology is very different. Same thing with the refeed. If you just have a day where you lose control, that you feel guilty about it. If you go, look, I need to raise carbohydrates so I can work in a little bit more food, I can refill muscle carbohydrates for training, I can hopefully offset some of these, like, it's planned. You can go, go to the, and this is something else that gets to your idea, the, the question you asked about
3: how do you keep from binging, a, don't go to a buffet. Don't, don't put yourself, like, everyone's like, I'll just buy the bag of cookies and just eat two. No, you won't. Mm-hmm. I won't. I know, i learned the hard way. Do you yeah. buy the bag of cookies? The bag of cookies is the Yeah,
1: start. it's just like me with peanut butter. If I eat peanut butter, yeah. I know it's not gonna end up with a uh, one spoon. <laughs>
4: yeah, it will end up at whole okay. If you're gonna do, if it fits your macros, if you're gonna do a free meal at home, which I don't recommend, like go to a restaurant because you're not gonna order three desserts at a restaurant. You're gonna feel guilty. You're mm-hmm. gonna. You, there's a, a. There's that aspect of it.
2: What I recommend people do is go to the store that day, buy what you're gonna eat, and that's it. Yes. Don't stop for ice cream on the way home. Don't stop. Go buy exactly what you're gonna eat. And When it's gone, you're done. That's just a control thing. If I want to do it to fit your macros and I want to fit in whatever, a candy bar, two donuts, whatever it is, I buy two donuts and go home. Mm -hmm. And then you can only eat two donuts. Like These are your options because I know myself, if it's in the house, it'll get eaten, period. That's that learning thing. Some people, I'm sure, can do it. I've known people that can do it. And,
1: and would well, you suggest to, to do a, a refit day? Like, there are some people that if I give them one day of refit, they will say, I, But I don't feel so hungry, I don't need this refit.
4: Yeah, and that, and again, that's a variable
2: thing. As much as anything, the refit is, is, is like potentially psychologically beneficial. Mm-hmm. If you're working with someone doing a lot of high intensity training, they're going to need it to refill muscle carbohydrate
4: just to support their training. Mm-hmm. There is the hormonal aspect, more for lean dieters and especially for women.
2: Is when you raise calories, even to maintenance, right? It doesn't. You don't have to put in 12 grams per kilo of carbohydrates. Like you don't have. And I've done that in some of my diets, but not all of them. If you even raise calories to maintenance, those hormonal adaptations will reverse at least transient, at least temporarily. Right? And I mentioned to you that. You know, five days of heart dieting can lower women's hormone levels. Mm -hmm. Well, two days of normal eating will reverse that. That helps to offset loss of menstrual cycle, metabolic adaptation. I mean, you know, hormones go down, they come to normal, they go down, they come back up, they come down. It's this cyclical approach. I mean, if someone doesn't need one and their training is fine, I
1: wouldn't force it. Can you take a a one refit of 600 calories and just put it, like, in two days of 300?
2: No, it, it really, you really have to hit maintenance calories in that 24-hour span for it to be beneficial. Like, it, you can't because if you're still dieting on those days, you don't get a whole lot of recovery. Mm-hmm. So, and again, it depends
3: on the population. A lean
2: male at 10% or a lean female at 15%, very different than an overweight individual. And in a lot of ways, and this is the biggest change in my my, my mind after you know, 13 years of experience with flexible dieting, for beginners, you probably don't need refeeds. And they may do more damage than good. Right? Psychologically, it may throw them off their diet. It's like they're I'm dieting. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's like, okay, I'm dieting, but if I have an off day, it's it's all it's fine. Suddenly you go, I want you to break your diet, and again, I hate to use those words, I want you to, to raise calories. And it's like mentally it can throw you off the diet, which again it, it's weird, it contradicts that intermittent calorie restriction thing where they tell them huge deficit in the need normally but even there I think the words matter if you tell someone to just eat normally they'll just eat normally like they may eat a little bit over
4: normal but they'll eat their normal diet mm-hmm. if you tell someone I need to pound as many carbs I need to pound you know 10 grams per kilo of carbs yeah. they're going to go nuts and unless you've got an athlete that may do more harm than good right if you're dealing with just the
2: general diet or that may be very detrimental so I'm just going you know what just eat normally don't go out and if you want to have a treat, go out to dinner with your family. Don't go nuts. Don't go to the buffet. Have a something. Do it at night. I usually find that people who have, they have that treat in the evening. They go to bed, and the next day, they're back in diet
4: mode. You do it at breakfast. It's like the day's ruined. Like I'm already, I'm not on a diet today. Mm-hmm. It, it's psychologically very different. So I tend to recommend if you're going to do it, if it fits your macros, if you're going to do a free meal, finish the refeed at that time go to bed, it's a new day, you start back on your
2: diet, it's all good. A lot of people find that their hunger is very reduced the day after a refeed, but I've seen people that it's the opposite. For whatever reason, I don't know if it's physiological or psychological, they find that their hunger is actually up the day after a refeed, which means that for them, that may not be a good strategy. But again, this is part
1: of that learning process. And we talked about the trends uh, in the fitness industry, you said uh, a little bit about uh, if it's your macro, uh, paleo, ketogenic uh, yeah. and uh, intermediate fasting that uh, really uh, in the last 2 or 3 years like getting a big vibe about it, so um, how can you know which one is a trend or a gimmick or something that really working? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of nonsense in the fitness industry. It's very frustrating. Usually people sell this stuff, they use themselves. They go, well, I'm buff. I got big arms. I'm in shape.
3: Therefore, I'm right and you're wrong. And a lot of people get away with a lot of stuff individually, or there's other factors. They've got great genetics. And, you know, look at if if the strategy is working
2: for a lot of people. There's probably something to it, right? If you've got someone like Mark Bergen, for example, he, he he didn't invent intermittent fasting but he developed a very specific approach called lean gains. Yes. He's got endless client success stories right and clear now there's uh, there's another consideration it's very easy
4: to pick your successes right If I take a thousand people mm-hmm. and I give them all the same diet no matter how stupid it is 50 will it'll work for them. Well. I just put those 50 people's pictures on my website. Now, if 50
1: we out of a, a long change. Yeah. 50 out of a thousand. No, I mean that just the numbers.
2: If 50 out of a thousand succeeded, that means 950 failed. Well, which is more about, which is the more important number, but people don't talk about their failures. People don't like, don't go, you know what? This, this was a, this, a lot of, a lot of stuff looks great on paper. Even some of my flexible dieting stuff, I realized it didn't, didn't work for a lot of people. Well, you, to change your model. People don't want to do that. It doesn't sell. So yeah, you have to look at the success stories. If it's working for a lot of people, there's probably something to it. Like It's 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 very easy to present something that looks sounds convincing, that looks scientifically convincing, and it's funny. The whole reference thing, the whole research thing has become very much a trend, and I'll, I, I was a big part of that. I was doing that in the late 90s, and I think I've both helped and hurt, because it's it's gotten to the point that, yeah, research is valuable, but a lot of people think that if there's not research, it can't be effective, and it's very easy to cite a study that doesn't say what you say it says. And people do it all the time, because nobody reads the studies, except me and about 10 other people. Mm-hmm. That's an exaggeration, but you know what I mean, the grand majority of people yes. are not going to go dig into, into you and you look go, okay, well, he claimed this. That study doesn't says the opposite. I see that a lot. So I can put a big reference list on anything. That doesn't mean my references actually say what I say The people misread read them deliberately or otherwise all the time. But you know, just look generally, is it is it effective for a lot of people? Do pay attention to the failures. I learn more from people that don't succeed. Because if something looks great on paper or works for a lot of people, but fails for a lot of people, I want to know why it's failing for this group of people. Why is, it being, why is something that should be theoretically perfect ineffective in this group? Because now I will learn more from that group mm-hmm. to make a better model. Like I've talked about, flexible dieting is great for people with good food control, for people that have years of, of control and measuring. Maybe not so much for beginners. Because I just re- I noticed that it wasn't working well for a lot of those people. It's really kicking them off their diet psychologically, whatever. So yeah, it's hard, but you just have to look. You know, also strategies that are effective stick around. There's a reason intermittent fasting has been popular for three years. It works for a lot of people.
1: What is what do you think about intermediate fasting? About fasting in general?
2: It's you know, there's a lot of good data that it has health benefits. It improves a lot of parameters for a lot of people. And you know, one thing I didn't cover, smaller women run into an issue with the total amount of food. Right? I love it fits your macros. If you're a woman on 1,400 calories, you don't have the room. I'd love to tell you eat a Pop-Tart or whatever. 200 calories of a Pop-Tart is 200 calories of filling food. A smaller woman doesn't. And, and look at most of the guys pushing flexible diet. It's 180-pound males. They're dieting on 2,400 calories. They want to eat 200 of junk. They've got 2,200 calories of solid food. For a small woman, that may not work. But at the same time, when you're dieting, you have to eat less.
4: This is reality. If you're trying to spread not a lot of calories across an entire day, those meals are very small. Even if you're eating four meals a day, right, 1,600 calories, four 400 calorie meals, those aren't big meals. And when do we have trouble with boredom eating, hunger, at nighttime? The typical approach to intermittent fasting is to skip breakfast. Yeah. It, doesn't hurt. it doesn't hurt anything. It doesn't slow metabolic rate. It doesn't put you in fast what that's all nonsense. Mm-hmm. However, if you can cluster those 1,600 calories between 2 and bedtime, well, guess what? You can eat three bigger meals. You can eat a little bit around training. You eat a 600-calorie meal at dinner because you've saved up those calories. You may actually be
2: able to sleep. You may actually be able to avoid that 10 p.m. refrigerator rate. So I think for a lot of people, intermittent fasting is great. For others, it puts them on a daily binge purge. They don't eat till 2, and when they start eating, they yeah, don't stop. It, they
1: overeat, so right? Like, Correct. It can, and, and, and people have unfortunately gotten this idea that intermittent fasting, you don't have to control calories, but you do. And Mark Burke, again, Mark Burke is, is very responsible for popularizing it, and his lean gains is very well thought out. He knows calories still count. For a lot of people, it's just it's it's convenient. It allows them to eat more later in the day when they're typically hungry. Because like during the day, you're at work, you're busy.
2: Like you talked about, people forget to eat because they got other stuff going on. Mm -hmm. It's eight o'clock at night. You're sitting at home. You're bored watching Netflix. That's when you get hungry. You can eat more food then. It's it's a it's much a control thing. It also gets people this whole six meal per day. I have to eat every three hours. It's psychological just traumatizing. You hear about people that eat a day, they're at work. At 11 a.m., they don't get a break. They sneak off to the bathroom to eat their chicken breast. I was
1: like like this for years when I just started.
4: Like,
2: oh, I need to eat every two to three hours. I I did too. It's it's pathologically unhealthy. Mm
4: -hmm. To
2: get out of that mode is very psychologically
1: um, It makes you more stressed. Like, oh,
2: if I don't eat right
1: now.
4: it's less stressful psychologically.
2: It's like, okay, I don't have to eat every four hours. My muscles won't fall off. My metabolism won't slow down. You know, you know eating more carbs at that time tends to help with sleep. Sleep gets interrupted on a diet. So I, I think intermittent fasting, when it works, it works amazingly. But for some people, they're better off eating more smaller meals. Yeah, or but
1: because if you like, it, there are some people that if they just eat two or three meals per day, Uh, Does it can affect their performance in the gym because when I eat like a big meal, so it makes me uh, like want to sleep, no? Sure, and and again, these are all, you know, typically the way intermittent fasting is done is you have a small meal before training, so that doesn't happen, you work out, and you put more calories after your, your workout. That's beneficial because now we know the training increases nutrient uptake into the muscles more of the calories stored, more calories stored in muscle means less calories stored in fat cells mm-hmm. you get a whole calorie partitioning thing i don't want to get into but there are benefits to that right a lot of people started clustering like all their carbs around training. you eat protein fat and vegetables the rest of the day because
3: that's when you get the best usage of those carbohydrates a big meal before training makes a lot of people sleepy big meal after training may make you sleepy, too, and you can take a nap. Um, so there, there are a lot of, um, again, It's an, it, you have to, as much as these, these set approaches are great, people do have to trial and error for themselves, and you will learn. You'll do it. It doesn't work. Maybe try it again. Try a little more protein. Try a little different carbohydrate. Even with the whole cravings and, and losing control, some people have trigger foods. For you, it's peanut butter. Mm-hmm. If that's, your, if that's the food that just makes you want to eat everything, well, pick something else. Like, it's just really that simple. Try a different treat food that you like. Maybe that one you can eat under control. That doesn't work. Try it a third time. If it doesn't work the third time, learn your damn lesson and don't do it. Like, it really, I really genuinely recommend that. Is if a strategy has not worked for you two or three times, it would be foolish to keep trying it. It's clearly not for you, or maybe it's not for you right now. Maybe in eight weeks of dieting when your taste buds have changed, maybe then
2: try it again. Mm-hmm. Try some different parameters. Maybe if you do this spread, you know, that spoonful of peanut butter, that's such a common one. Maybe if you put it on a piece of high fiber bread, it'll change for you. Mm-hmm. People like to give absolutes, people don't like to think about this stuff, but there is that, again, there's that learning process with dieting that people have to go through for themselves. Um, and it sucks. It takes time. If you're on a tight schedule, it can put you off. You know, if you're a physique competitor and you got to be in shape on this date, that trial and error can be really a problem. And you can test this stuff in the off season. You figure this out so that when you're ready. For the general public, there's no like they're not in a hurry. They need to focus on the process of figuring out. You know, changing their dietary habits, establishing better habits, all that stuff. If they can make flexible dieting work early on, great. If they gotta wait twelve weeks, look, they may be looking at a year of dieting. Three or two or two in some cases. Three months is a drop in the bucket. It's like what you asked about. Fine, you've got fifty pounds to
4: lose. If one week you lose half of what your goal was, you lose half a pound of fat. Does that matter? Does that does that one week matter in the scheme of the year? No. no. But people make it matter. People make it like I have Failed my diet mm-hmm. because this week I will only lose half a pound of fat. You, it, breaking people, this is so hard. But once you make them think about it in that conceptual sense, mm-hmm. like you're trying to save money, I'm gonna save a hundred dollars a week. Well, guess what? This week you
1: only save seventy-five. Are you that far behind? Are you really? Are you a complete failure? It's yes, just the like uh, looking at uh, muscle gain. Like sure. uh, if you're trying to get uh, bigger, stronger. And this week you were like, oh, I didn't live too much. So always look at it in the big picture. Correct.
2: But it's very hard to do. You know, we, we have a limited amount of time in our lives, especially when you're older. You're just like, I've only got so many more
3: years left. Mm-hmm. And but muscle growth is slow. You know, one of my jokes, it's not a joke. Everyone wants fat loss to be twice as fast as it ever is. they're mm-hmm. losing a pound, they, they want two. If they're losing two pounds, they want four. If they yeah. want four, <laughs> I, I don't enjoy dieting. Nobody does. But if you've got a lot of fat to lose, it can. You may be looking at a year to two years for,
2: for very
1: overweight. Yeah, people just don't want to hear the... The real truth. They always want to like, oh, uh, there is a secret, uh, a way to to do it faster. And uh, this is how marketers like walk. Like, do you want to to hear the secret to your six pack apps or whatever? So people still buy it. Even if they know the truth, they will buy it because our mind is like, oh, there must be a way. I always knew it.
2: Look at, you know, people ask me sometimes, like, what's the most important part of training? Showing up.
4: Yeah. Like, showing up. And, yeah. and beyond that, the most important
1: aspect of a diet is consistency over time. This is what uh, what uh, Eric uh, says in his pyramids. This is the and basic, like, the, the consistency, the doing it over and over for a long period really- of time.
2: And that's that's not sexy. It's not fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I like to look at the, the silly women's magazines
4: on the newspaper stands when I'm at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And I seriously have seen something like this one change. You can melt off 20 pounds in 10 days. It kills me because a most of it's water. If it if you get that anyway, yeah. but it it programs people to think that's what Even that Biggest Loser TV show, terrible. People watch this, and these people are losing 14 pounds a week. Well, A, they're 400 pounds. B, they're on 800 calories doing six hours of exercise a day. Yeah. So, really interesting follow-up, one of the competitors, right? He lost 350 pounds. Of course, he gained it all back. And he's trying to lose it again. And he said, you know what? I was losing 14 to 20 pounds a week. I'm only lose, I'm only
2: losing two a week now. I can't deal with it. I can't. Once you're once you're psychologically programmed to think that twenty pounds a week is normal or what you should expect, mm-hmm. why why would you do two pounds? Why would I care? That's nothing. But that's real. That's reality. You know, if you're losing two pounds a week consistently, that's a hundred pounds in a year. Like, and again, it's that short versus long term perspective. Mm-hmm. Eight pounds a month is fantastic. I saw a paper they asked women what their gold weight was and they wanted to lose like 32% of their body weight, like a huge amount. Most of them made half of that. Or maybe it was 32 kilos. I forget. It was like 16, whatever, 60 pounds. Most of them made about half of that. They lost 30 pounds. And over half of them were disappointed with that. Yeah. It's like, what do, you, what do you think? What do you expect? Like what, what the people's, it's like the muscle thing guys are like, yep, we gain 20 pounds in 10 weeks. No, you're not. You might gain 20 pounds in a year and a half. But again, the supplement manufacturers, they're getting
3: ridiculous. It used to be gain 10 pounds in 10 weeks. Now, you can gain 25 pounds of muscle in six weeks on our supplement. But people want to believe. Yes. I want to believe, but it doesn't ever work. So, you know, my focus, you can't change people's
2: minds. You're never going to stop the marketing because there's too much money. I wait for people to do that and realize it doesn't work, and then come to me. You probably do too. Yes. You, you can't
4: you can't lead them you can't help them until they're ready to listen. But when they're ready to listen, give as much help as you can because you're not going to change the mind of anybody else. So. Right. Right.
1: So uh, last thing we want to cover is about hitting a plateau, and. Uh, yes. How, how we, can you really overcome plateaus, uh, men and women's? Uh, because, uh, like we talked before, that uh, there is a difference between the two of them. And how uh, do you know uh, when is the right time to cut off from your calories? Because this is what most people do. They, if they see they're eating a plateau, okay, I will cut more calories.
2: Yeah. Um, so real quick, you know, let me, I'll try to keep this brief because we're running long. Yes. So, yeah, you know, plateaus can happen for a number of reasons. A big one is just mistracking. People are very bad at that. They mismeasure their food, especially as they get hungrier. You know, you've done this.
4: Suddenly, a, a tablespoon of peanut butter, mm-hmm. pack it a little bit higher, you lick the bottom. Mm-hmm. You do that four
2: times a day, and that's another 200 calories. All of a sudden, you're eating a little bit more. So that, that's a real common one. You know, and overweighted new, new dieters. Everybody does this. I hate to single out overweight people. Are really bad at knowing how much food they're eating for the overweight it doesn't matter so much unless they're really they're like oh every woman every person goes I eat 1500 calories a day no you don't that's not trust me no you don't you think you do but you're not counting the cream in your coffee the spread on your sandwiches Yeah. you're not counting the
1: little nibble when you're making dinner they forget you're the eating, little stuff you're eating double that you're eating the double that so that's one very real
2: cause of plateaus for the Jennifer dieters that are very have done this for a while less common but again women do it all the time again small women who are on A small deficit, 1,400
1: calories, it doesn't take much to eat 400 more and cancel the deficit. But how can we take it and uh, not make it an obsession? Because from uh, some clients, I see that uh, if I tell them, ah, you're just not uh, calculating too much, so they calculate a lot, and then they uh, start to be obsessed about it. And they, uh, like, every single thing they calculate. Right, and it's
2: there's you, you know what I usually recommend in that case if they if are not good at tracking like spend two weeks doing it measure everything write it down keep a record and there's there's apps that'll do this you can use Fit Day and all these other things nice. that two weeks as much of a pain in the butt as it is is probably the single most profound learning experience any dieter will ever have because it will teach them what a food portion is right in the modern world. Any restaurant you go to serves you serve to easily two to three times a normal portion, mm-hmm. right? People have, and then as the portions have gotten bigger, especially in the United States, people's yeah. perspective of what number of calories are in a food is completely skewed. They do these things on the street, and you know, they're like, how many calories in a, a large pizza? People go, oh, about 400.
4: No, it's about 4,000. Like, mm-hmm. people have no conception of this. Doing that for two weeks will give people a better perspective of, ah, oh, this is...
2: There's no video. You know, this is a cup of, of vegetables. This is a cup of starch. This is a serving of protein. Then they can eyeball it. You know, honestly, the general dieter doesn't need to be this meticulous. Once a
3: male gets to 12 or 15%, he's going to have to be. Once a female gets to 17%, 18%, she's going to have to measure.
1: Yeah, sure the leaner you the are, same. the more there's you need just to no know. Getting,
2: there's just no getting around it. So anyway, the, the mistracking is one big cause of... of plateaus. Mm-hmm. There's the water retention we talked about, yes. right? You're doing too much activity, too, too, too low calories.
4: That's a tough one. Usually, you know, you may look or feel bloated. Like, even if you, you look
2: at your calories, you're like, I'm still in a deficit and I'm losing. Frequently, a day off is all you need. A day of maintenance and, and that water weight will drop off. Frequently, it just takes a couple, three weeks. So maybe we should define what a plateau is. A plateau is not a loss of weight for a day. A plateau is not a loss of weight for a week, mm-hmm. Right? If you're losing a your goal your goal is a pound a week, that's within the variation on the scale, that's within the variation of calipers. You may be losing that. Again, I'm sure Eric said the same thing, because he and I've discussed this a lot in email. Is the not hitting your goal for a week doesn't matter. Not hitting your goal for two weeks, okay, maybe something's wrong. I would say if
4: you haven't seen the expected change within a three week span, and again women have that bigger issue, you are at a plateau. First, check your calories, and if you're human dieting for a while, if you know what the numbers are, check for two days. If you're a beginner, you need to check for two weeks. Check your calories. Is that good? All right. Look at the amount of activity you're doing. People are very psychologically stressed when they die cause they're like almost blue. No, and it's like you get chill. I've told a lot of people, and I'm only half joking. Get drunk, get stoned, get laid, and go. Like, I'm really not kidding about this. Yeah, yeah
2: psycho, you have and it's very hard, you can't tell a psycho, a psycho person to not be psycho. you just like, you gotta chill. Go do some meditation, go do some yoga, take a day off. That day off will not screw you any more than missing a workout will screw your muscle gains. Like, eat a little more calories, don't be stunned if you wake up tomorrow, three pounds of you're right back on schedule. That doesn't work. Now we have to look at the real problem, right? Metabolic adaptation. Know that with dieting, Mm -hmm. energy expenditure goes down. Smaller body weight, you're eating a little bit less food, means you're gonna burn less calories during exercise, you may move around less. That that meat component, non-exercise activity, thermogenesis, all that's due to being smaller, but there's also that adaptive component, thyroid drops, nervous system drops. There's a there's a
3: bigger decrease in metabolic rate than predictive. That happens, it's not debatable. Never denied it, even though I've been accused of such. I've been writing about it for about 15 years that will eventually, you know, you create a 500-calorie deficit. By the time you've lost, whatever, 10 pounds, pulling numbers out, you may only be on 200-calorie deficit, right? Energy, expense, your pre-diet number has dropped by 300. Now you're losing almost nothing, or it may balance out completely, right? If that didn't happen, and you went on a diet, you would lose weight forever. We know this doesn't
2: happen. We know that you lose weight quickly, and it flattens out, and then eventually you get a new maintenance. At some point, you're going to either have to increase your activity, Decrease your energy expenditure, your calorie intake. Increase energy expenditure, the exercise, decrease your calorie intake, or some combination of the two. Mm-hmm. The question is then how, and this is again, it's been three weeks, your food
3: intake's good, you're not holding water, well, guess what? Your metabolism is slowed down. Now you have to adjust the diet. Eric's rule of thumb that he probably gave you yeah. if you don't hit target weight for two weeks, you cut 100 calories out of your diet. That's a good, I did some numbers for Alan's review recently. And that's for lean individuals, that's pretty good. And for every pound
2: you lose, metabolic rate probably goes down by about 50 calories. So if you've lost 10 pounds, your metabolism could have dropped by 500, your, not metabolism, your energy expenditure may have dropped by 500 calories. Well, I yeah, got news for you. If you want to keep
3: losing fat, you're going to have to cut something. Now, which it's better to do, whether it's to increase activity or cut calories, depends.
2: If you're not doing much aerobic activity, if you add 10 minutes of aerobic activity for a 150-pound person will burn about 100 calories. That that means you don't have to cut your food intake anymore. If you're already doing an hour and a half of cardio, an so hour of cardio, you may be better be better off reducing your calories or you can do half and half. At 5 minutes of aerobics, cut your calories. 50 calories is
1: this nothing. Is, that's 5
2: it, grams fat, right? 12 grams of carbs, that's nothing. Mm-hmm. Cut out half a piece of fruit and you're there. But you're going to have to keep, if you want to keep fat loss moving, and this is truly important for the physique competitor, or the athlete who's got a time frame, you're going to have to do this consistently. Now, you can either wait till you hit a plateau. If you actually look at really uh, well-practiced dieters, physique competitors who've got a lot of experience do this very intuitively. Every week, they'll cut a little bit. They'll reduce, you know, they'll cut their calories every couple of weeks anyway. You can do that before you hit the plateau. And that's really important if you're on a time frame. So you know, every couple of weeks, just go ahead. If you're losing if you're gonna lose two pounds in two weeks, you're gonna need maybe cut hundred calories. This also avoids the problem of these big changes, right? We talked about what do people do? I haven't lost weight in two weeks. Another hour of aerobics. No, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is a reaction. If that happens, make a small big changes are very stressful to the body. Small changes are very non stressful. Body. If you're doing thirty minutes of aerobics and you add ten minutes, it's nothing. Yes. If you're eating two thousand calories and you get a nineteen hundred, it's nothing. If you're doing thirty minutes of aerobics and you add an hour, that's way too much. Especially when you're dieting two thousand and you cut five hundred, way too much of a stress to the body. Keeping doing very gradual changes over time again okay. the consistency thing far
1: back, far superior. Just uh, changing the mindset and not thinking that uh Doing too much will get them better results. So taking yeah, it like one step at a time.
2: It's counterintuitive, and you know, America, which again is the only country I have enough experience with. We are a Puritan society. Harder work is better, right? It's the Rocky yeah. mentality. The yeah. harder I work, the better my results, and. Frequently the opposite.
1: We still see it right? in everything. Like we see The Rock and all of that guys are smoking odds and doing cheat meals and stuff. So so yeah. we are rewired to think like that.
2: So Yeah, and then we're trained to it because the success stories are like, well, this is what I do.
4: Mm-hmm. And frequently,
2: I mean, the guys,
4: athletics sports selects for the winners, right? And again, it's a number thing. Everyone's like, well, clean eating gets people in shape. Okay, the winners... Let's talk about the 90% who cracked. Let's talk about all the women who ended up with an eating disorder who binged themselves because they were dieting too hard. Yes. The 90% is way more in, in – training the same way. It looks at some Eastern European sporting country. They train the crap out of their athletes. They go to max every day. They kill them. Right. One guy out of 60 makes it. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the one. Worry about the 59 because guess what? You're not the guy, you're not the exception. Because that's not what the word exception means. That's you're not the one out of sixty that's good, but everybody thinks they are. Nope, I'm different. Well, no, you're probably not. You might be,
2: but you're probably not. I would rather see 80% succeed and maybe not get as far than see 20% succeed and have everyone else fail. <laughs> At the extremes, you don't have those like you know, if you're trying kind to of competitor. got to hit four percent as a man god that's the reality but there are better and worse ways to do it i I know eric talked about he's got so much experience with physique competitors he starts his women six months or more out so they can do these nice gradual changes not kick their systems into a stress mode you know men don't need that but a lot of male competitors are doing it too as a natural bodybuilder you have to do that to get into shape and the other problem with this we could Just to touch on this without getting into it, there's the drug issue, right? A lot of people in the fitness industry who hold themselves up as successes or their competitors as successes, they're not talking about the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. You can get away with everything. If you're on testosterone, thyroid, clenbuterol, growth hormone, and bored knows what else, you can do a 12-week diet and drop 20 pounds of fat without muscle loss. Right, you still see that. Ah, I died for ten to twelve weeks. They're starting at ten percent because they can gain muscle on that. On that, they're using every drug known to God. Man, if a natural competitor does. They need natural competitor needs double that. Right, even when you look at the weight gain studies in overweight people, they lose about half what you predict for a number of reasons. But this is you. You realistically, whatever you think
1: you're going to hit your goal in, at. at at maybe double it, at least go one and a half. If you think you can get there in twelve weeks, you better plan on eighteen. So a guy that starts from about twelve percent and to go want to go to six percent, it will take him about how many months? Um yeah, I have to work some numbers on that. But you know, he's probably he may be looking
2: at ten to fifteen pounds of body fat. Even a pound a week. That's 16 weeks, mm-hmm. and it'll probably realistically be longer than that, because between metabolic slowdown and everything else that's going on, he may realistically need 20 to 24 months, and guess what? That's six months of straight dieting, and it sucks. Mm-hmm. Maybe 12%, not quite that bad, but
4: that's the other problem with, with very lean. They think they're 12%, they're really 15 And,
1: uh, <laughs> and this is why every council also uh, suggests to do like a maintenance every once in a month.
4: For sure. That's, that's a whole other thing. You know, Taking a week in maintenance gives your body a break, your mind a break. It can help reset some of those hormones, but even that adds to the dieting time. right? And You're always better off if you've
2: got a time frame starting earlier rather than later. Yes. You can always slow things down. You're losing too quickly, and it happens. If you're losing too quickly, you can always slow the fat loss down. If you're behind schedule. It's very hard to speed it up without causing a lot of problems. So you're always better to err on the side of too soon rather than too late. But again, to tell someone you're going to have to diet for half a year, that for a that for a major him. <laughs> you have You got to start December. That is psychologically daunting. But at the extremes, that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. For the obese individual, I don't even like. You can set a dream goal. You can you know I tell focus on the next twelve weeks. Yes. Don't think that you can't do it. You can't think about it in a year's span.
1: Just like building a business. It won't happen in one month. Sure. Yeah, maybe in two years you want to be here, but focus on what you did this month. Build on that the next month. Build on that the third month. Mm-hmm. Realize you're going to have setbacks. You're going to have a bad week.
2: And the people who are successful, invariably, that's what they do. Because that way, if they have a bad week, they know that, okay, this is just a short-term fluctuation. But, yeah, so it's this is all part of that mindset. It's hard to adopt the do people get better results
1: yes so where can we find you
2: my, my website is bodyrecomposition.com I've been there forever I've got like 500 plus articles on my books I have a very active Facebook page with a lot of smart people on it I've got a forum but no one uses forums anymore so pretty much my Facebook page which is also
0: body recomposition on my website if you enjoyed this interview or any other one from the mind body podcast subscribe to my podcast at iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and at my YouTube channel. Also, feel free to share this podcast on Instagram by tagging the Mind Body Podcast. Do you want to be a part of the Mind Body Podcast? So, remember the Fast Factor. The Fast Factor stands for 1 Facebook. Become a part of the MindBody Podcast community by joining our Facebook community just by searching on Facebook, the MindBody Podcast community. Number two, act. Don't just be a passive listener. Act upon what you've just learned by applying one simple thing from any episode or interview. Three, subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or if you're visual like me, then just search the Body podcast on YouTube. And number four, train others. Cause just like I always says, leaders create leaders and you're all here to grow together. And by training others, you're training yourself. So this is the fast factor. Remember it. Facebook act, subscribe and train others oh and please feel free to leave a review which will engage all your vac senses and the vac senses stands for visual auditory and kinesthetic which when you use all the three combined you remember stuff much better for more information about my coaching public speaking and taking your mind and body to all new levels check my site at lidodayan.com till then never ever forget to smile
3: see you soon